Warning. This episode contains crimes against a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hey y'all, this is May, and I want to welcome you to Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. For season two, I will be discussing murders from the year 1970 through 1979. Today's story is of a male murderer from 1972. So grab you some Whataburger and open that Dr. Pepper. Let's go back in time to the year 1972. In 1972, there was a miners' strike in the UK starting on January 9th. A month later, the Prime Minister declared a state of emergency. They then announced everyone would go to a three-day work week to conserve energy. An agreement was reached February 19th with the strike officially over and miners back to work on February 28th. That same year, the world leaders agreed to ban biological warfare. Another thing that happened in 1972 was a man with dreams of opening up an antique store, but decided to steal the antiques he wanted to sell, which ended with him committing brutal murders. Please join me in walking down Erie Lane. Officers in Houston are looking for two men in connection with a robbery murder committed on January 5, 1972. The two men are Dennis Ray Anderson, described to be 6 feet tall, 180 pounds. He has a scar on his forehead and a bullet scar on his right wrist. He has brown hair and blue eyes. He is 25 years old. The other suspect is Fred Foy Young Jr., described to be five foot seven inches tall, 150 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes, and is 21 years old. The men were last seen in Houston boarding a Texas international airliner for Corpus Christi. Involved in the search were the Texas Rangers, agents of the Safety Department's Organized Crime Unit and Intelligence Unit, Hardin County Sheriff's Office, Brazoria County Deputies, and Pearland Police. The reason for all the different police units was because of the severity of the crime, which I will detail next. But I will not go into great detail on the killings, as it is traumatic to hear. Mabel McCormick owned a combination antique shop home in a small Texas town called Conesey, 10 miles from Beaumont. On the morning of January 5, 1972, Sheila Bowman dropped off her three-year-old daughter, Leslie, at her mom Mabel's home before heading off to work. Two men entered her shop around noon. One she was familiar with, Dennis Ray Anderson, and a younger fellow who were interested in buying a good amount that day. Once Mabel and Dennis agreed on price, Fred Young was asked to start loading the items into the green Easy Hall rental truck they had brought to fit all the antiques they were hoping to acquire that day. The following is Young's account of the events that took place that morning. Later, I will detail Anderson's account, and y'all can decide which telling is the one 
that actually took place. Young walked out to the driveway to load some of the antiques, but once he walked back into the house, he witnessed Anderson attacking Mabel, beating her with a hammer. Young later stated, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked, horrified, terrified. It reminded me of something you see on television, something like you imagine. But Young froze in this moment. He did not try to stop the attack, didn't run away, didn't check to see if the little girl was okay. Instead, he decided to look out the window in disbelief. After this attack, the men loaded up the antiques they could, lit the store on fire, and drove to Anderson's place to drop off all the stolen merchandise. The stolen items ended up equaling about $6,000, equivalent to $37,000 today. Young claims he did not know Mabel McCormick had died until he read it in the newspaper the next day, along with her three-year-old granddaughter, Leslie, who had been killed by suffocation and was found headfirst in the bathroom toilet. Anderson and Young decided the best course of action would be to run. Young had some friends in Puerto Rico, so the men decided to hide out there, but after a week, they decided it would be best to give themselves up. So Young called his parents and told them everything. Sheriff Billy Payne related these details to the press. The parents of Young notified Texas Ranger Captain Pete Rogers after their son telephoned them from Puerto Rico and asked that arrangements be made for the pair to surrender. Officers were waiting as the two stepped off an Eastern Airlines flight, which originated in Puerto Rico and made only one stop in Atlanta en route to Houston. Except for a pocket knife carried by one, the men were unarmed. The events that took place over the next few years can only be described as a circus, the lawyers saying as much by the last trial involving the men. After the men were arrested and the details of the case exposed, other police departments came forward to investigate and see if these men were involved in similar robbery murders. The police departments were from Houston, Oklahoma City, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and Columbus, Ohio. The victims were Christina Mitchell and her eight-month-old baby, Scott, in Columbus, Ohio, Evelyn Leopoulos in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Jewel D. Kowser in Oklahoma City, and Colette Anise Wilson in Houston, Texas. Unfortunately, these cases could not be connected to either Anderson or Young, but I will come back to these murders after detailing this current case. The two men were going to be tried together in February 1972. But the defense lawyers pulled out every play they could to delay the trial for Anderson and Young. February 1972. Anderson and Young are allowed to undergo psychiatric examinations that had to be conducted by March 8th. Then the defense lawyers for the men got together to request a change of venue for their trials, and that hearing was set 
for March 28th. At that hearing, testimony was heard from Archer Fillingham, editor of the Compse News. I don't think any jury could escape the pressure to give a verdict of anything but death or life imprisonment, he said. I would hate to be on that jury. Everybody I talk to thinks they are guilty. On April 3rd, Judge Coe agrees that a change of venue is necessary, but will not decide on the new locations until April 7th. Judge Coe decided that the trial for the murder of Mabel McCormick would be in Belton, Texas, and the trial for the murder of three-year-old Leslie Bowman would be heard in Tyler, Texas. He explained, Separate cities were necessary because the first trial would create publicity to prejudice the second case. The McCormick trial was set to start on July 10th, but on that day, the trial had to be postponed due to State Senator James Bates being brought in as a lawyer for the Young Defense Team. If you recall, last episode we discussed the same defense tactic, called Pass Law. In this law, it states trials in Texas must be rescheduled 30 days after a legislative session if a state legislator is involved. This particular session was to end July 8th, so they couldn't start the trial on the 10th as planned, and it was pushed back to September 11th, 1972. Around this same time, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled the death penalty to be cruel and unusual punishment. So prosecutor Stanley Coe, no relation to the judge mentioned earlier, withdrew his request to make this a death penalty case, raising their bonds to 75000 each. And on July 11th, the county judge raised their bonds to $100,000 each to also reflect the theft charges from the stolen antiques. Child sex trafficking is a huge issue, and it is heartbreaking to know innocent children are being victimized in this way. But there are some great organizations who are fighting hard to bring these kids to safety and freedom, and the perpetrators to justice. Operation Underground Railroad is the one I want to support. They announced on Instagram on August 4th of the rescue of their 4,000th survivor. If this touches your heart and you want to do something to help, you can go to their website, ourrescue.org, to learn how to volunteer your time or donate. Let's stand together to save the children. September 10th was the last time a tactic by the defense was used to delay the trial of the two men for the murder of Mabel McCormick. The defense team for Young used a method called severance as a last-ditch effort to stop the September 13th trial date. This meant they would now try to push for the two men to be tried separately for the murder. But in order for this motion to go through, one of the defendants would need to change their plea to guilty. Anderson agreed to plead guilty and was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Mabel McCormick. 
Yet this did not change the trial date for Fred Young. And after a jury was selected of four men and eight women, his trial started on September 13, 1972. The star witness for the prosecution then became Dennis Ray Anderson. His testimony is as follows. Anderson explained his desire to open up his own antique store, but was desperate for money, and by the time he burglarized McCormick's shop, he had already robbed three homes and two other antique shops. Anderson talked about his relationship with Young, how they knew each other a year before this incident. He also stated that they had discussed the possibility of stealing from Mrs. McCormick when they had a meeting in a hotel about a month before the killings. According to Anderson, Young knew they would be robbing her store and that Young did help in the murders of Mrs. McCormick and her granddaughter. Anderson described beating the woman with a hammer and then while Young held her legs, he slit her throat. He then testified that he went to the bedroom of the baby and said, I saw the baby on the bed. Fred had a pillow over her face. That's the last I saw of the baby. He then went into detail on what the two did after leaving the scene of the crime. They burned their bloody clothes, unloaded the stolen antiques in the vacant house next to Anderson's, and returned to the U-Haul truck. Anderson said the next day they began to worry after hearing reports on the radio about the murders so they decided to flee to Puerto Rico. But after seven days, they were ready to leave, Anderson explained. I distinctly wanted to come back. That was the only way I could live with myself. The prosecution called a doctor to the stand to testify about the details of the murder. Again, I will not go into the graphic details, but I will need to explain a little of the attack so you may come to your own conclusion of what happened in the store on that January 5th day. Pathologist Dr. Wilcox testified, The persons who killed Mrs. McCormick held her head up and to the right and then cut her throat. When asked by the prosecutor if two people were needed to hold the head in that position, Wilcox answered, If the victim had possession of her strength and her facilities, yes, because of this testimony, the prosecutor pushed this narrative in his final argument, saying that Young did participate in the murder of Mrs. McCormick by holding her feet while Anderson slit her throat. Further describing to the jury, Young had to step over the body of a dead woman, and he had to walk through her blood. Defense attorney Joe Goodman attacked Anderson's credibility, saying he was a vicious little man, a sick little man, Young fled the scene of the crime out of fear, but was not capable of murder. The jury then left to deliberate. After 24 hours, the jury came back with a verdict. Guilty of murder with malice. Young was stunned, and his attorney seemed to barely be holding it together. Before the sentence was to be decided, the defense lawyer pleaded with the jury, saying, This is probably one of the hardest times I've ever had to face the jury. I did not believe under the facts this would be the verdict. He asked for a punishment of 10 years probation or less. 
For goodness sake, under this verdict, give him a chance. Prosecutor Coe told the jury to ring out the message to save other 22-year-old boys in this country. He's a creature that should be confined. Let the punishment fit the crime. Fred Young was sentenced to five years probation for the murder of Mabel McCormick. The trial for the murder of three-year-old Leslie Bowman was due to start on October 30th, but only for Fred Young. Anderson's trial date had yet to be decided. Young was back in the Hardin County Jail on a bond of 25000 to await the second trial in Tyler. But just like the first trial, this trial date changed twice due to being postponed due to Young's lawyer first having a conflict with another case, and the second conflict was because Goodwin fell ill and was hospitalized with upper chest pains and high blood pressure. The new trial date was set to begin January 8th, 1973. Opening remarks for the defense explained that Young was at the scene, but we will show that even though he was there, he wasn't the one who committed those horrible murders. Anderson is a complete, lying, pathological individual. For this trial, the prosecution did not call Anderson to testify. Instead, they called on his wife, Deanna, to the stand. She testified that her husband and Young behaved normally on the day of the murders, and she did not believe her husband to be mentally deranged. She further explained Dennis had never given her any reason to distrust him. The defense also changed their strategy for the second trial. They decided to have Young testify on his own behalf. His testimony is as follows. Young explained that Anderson invited him on a trip to hunt for antiques that day in January. When they got to Mrs. McCormick's shop, Young thought that Anderson and McCormick seemed to be familiar with one another. At the start of the episode, I detailed Young's account of the murders. But, as a recap, Young said he was there when the murders happened, but was not part of the attacks. The following day, Anderson called him saying, The old woman is dead, which made Young realize the events from the previous day really did happen, stating, then it really hit me that it really happened. Young then detailed how Anderson suggested they go to Puerto Rico and convinced him by saying the two men shared the guilt and Young would also be put away for life. It was at this time the defense lawyers produced a letter that was written from Anderson to Young right before the first trial. In the letter, Anderson told Young he intended to change his plea and that Young needed to take whatever harassment he had to, but that all that he could be stuck with was theft over $50. Anderson ended the letter with, Only two know what went on.
Closing arguments for the defense included statements such as, With Young, we're not dealing with any great brain or brave person. Anderson committed the crime, and Fred, in his stupidity, stood there like a ninny and loaded the antiques like Anderson told him, and that Fred Young is as much a victim of Anderson's insanity as Mrs. McCormick or the baby. If you find Young guilty, you carry that insanity into the courtroom. The prosecution went after Young's testimony in their closing arguments, telling the jury, Young's testimony reminds me of some Hollywood production. When we begin to crowd him on what happened to the baby, he gets out of it by saying he flipped out and can't remember. Look at this man with wavy hair and baby eyes. Don't let his looks deceive you. Looks are only skin deep. Continuing, he said, The state's best witness, Mabel McCormick, isn't here. She is dead. And it is doubtful if the baby were living, she could testify because of her tender age. The baby died simply because she cried, as children will. The jury left to deliberate. After 10 hours, they came back with a verdict of guilty. Even though Young was found guilty and put on probation in the McCormick trial, since that verdict was on appeal and therefore not final, Young was able to receive probation in this case, which, after an hour, the jury decided that to be his sentence. Young was sentenced to 10 years probation for the murder of three-year-old Leslie Bowman. Young was quoted as saying after the trial, I'm exhilarated and confused. First, I don't know why the jury found me guilty, but after they did, I don't understand how they gave me probation. The Lord must have a hand in it. The Lord only knows my purpose and I intend to pursue that purpose until I find it. I intend to enter a Bible college in Houston. James Bowman, Leslie's father, was very angry after the trial. While hitting his fist on the bench in front of him, he cried, This is justice? There's no justice in this world. He killed my little girl, and they let him go. Thomas McCormick, Mabel's husband and grandfather to Leslie, began weeping while trying to comfort his daughter and yelled, what kind of world is this? Prosecutor Owen shared in their frustration, saying, I am disappointed and disagree with the verdict. I don't understand how a jury could find Young guilty of murdering a baby and then turn around and give him a probated sentence. A few days later, Dennis Ray Anderson pleaded guilty and was again sentenced to life in prison. This story is not over yet. Some shocking revelations are to come in part two that will be released next week. I want to say a huge thank you to newspapers.com, Houston Press, the Beaumont Enterprise, and all the other great resources that helped me get all the information for this episode. 
I'll put a link to their work in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. Please join me next week when I will discuss part two of the Dennis Ray Anderson case from 1972. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review my podcast, as it really does help out. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at crimesofadecade at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at crimesofadecadepod and on Twitter at crimesofadecade. Thank you.